seated. Thank you so much for being with us this morning and our Christmas special. Uh, we called it an iconic Christmas. And as we were sitting down and, and planning and trying to figure out, hey, what do we want to do this year? What's God calling us to? Uh, you know, we had a number of different ideas. And we just started to think about our favorite Christmas movies. Right? We all, I think, around this time of year, we like to gather around and, and watch Christmas movies. Uh, and, and, and as we started thinking about these Christmas movies, we started thinking about, man, some of these movies, man, they're just iconic, right? They're, they're old, but you just, you gotta watch it. And I think every generation has their movie, you know? Uh, some older generations, they have to watch A Wonderful Life. And that's just like, man, that's our tradition. Uh, so people around my age probably, uh, you like to watch A Christmas Story, and, and you, know, you know, you gotta watch A Christmas Story and you got to watch that pink bunny coming down the stairs. I think more younger now, it's like Elf and, and you want to see Buddy the Elf. And so we, we brought all those icons today, right? We, we had the old school Charles Dickinson Scrooge, except ours was from uh, the projects of New York. And I ain't ever seen Scrooge with Tim's. But listen, if for whatever reason you missed that Oscar winning performance, please make sure you watch online or tell somebody to watch online. I ain't even gonna lie. 90% of why we did this is to see Pastor in that costume. And, and that's just because he turned down the Die Hard costume. He said it's not a Christmas movie. But I'm like, yes, it is. But apparently I couldn't get him to go barefoot with a tank top. But, um, you know, we were thinking about all these icons, right? We got Scrooge and we got Santa Claus in the back. We got the bunny from a Christmas story and, and Buddy the Elf. And man, I was, I was really worried that a six foot six buddy would freak out our children. But thank God. That they they are used to him. They love Kevin in the back, and the reason we were kind of coming up with these icons is, is I thought about that word icon. That's a word we often use, but it's also one of those words that we probably couldn't define if you really asked us to. Where if somebody said, "Well, what, what does icon mean?" You'd be like, "It's an icon, you know, icon." <laughs> but let me give you a definition because this really stuck out to me. An icon is a sign or representation that stands for its object by virtue of a resemblance or analogy to it. It's a sign or representation that stands for its object by virtue of a resemblance or an analogy to it. When you see that icon, you instantly think of what it's supposed to be either be an analogy of or resemblance to. And that's what makes these characters iconic, right? You, you see that outfit that Pastor came out in and instantly you think Scrooge and you think of a Christmas story and you think of Tiny Tim and Bah Humbug. And we don't even say that word anymore, but it's iconic. You see the bunny and, and if you're of a certain generation, you picked up on that right away where that's a Christmas story and, and I don't know how we found them a bunny costume, but thank God because that's hilarious. <laughs> The things are iconic, even Santa Claus, right? I don't know if you know this, but the whole reason that Santa Claus looks the way he does to the whole world is actually because of Coca-Cola. In the early 20th century, Coca-Cola contracted a company to do a rendition of Santa Claus. Up until before that point, Santa Claus looked a number of different ways depending on who you were talking to. Green coat, blue coat, red beard, all over, it was different. But Coca-Cola had such a powerful marketing campaign that when they put out their version of Santa Claus, it became the version of Santa Claus. It became iconic. So I'm thinking about icons and I'm thinking about what the Lord is trying to speak to us this morning. And there's an icon in the Bible, a representation, a symbol 
that stands for, was analogy to an announcement that God was making to the world. This Christmas we celebrate, as always, the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And his birth was announced, right? They didn't have emails back then, they didn't send out, you know, baby notices and cards. He had to figure out a way to announce to the world the birth of his one and only son. And I want you to notice if you have your Bibles in Matthew chapter two, we're gonna read just a few verses, verse one through 11. But here you see this icon that God uses to announce the birth of his son. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the, sign, or during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as, everyone, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called the meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. When Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the, first, when the star first appeared, he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So these wise men... Uh, most scholars believe they were astrologers. They see this unique star in the sky, something they hadn't seen before. Now there's different theories on what the star was. Some think it might've been a comet. Some think it might've been the alignment of Jupiter and Saturn. Uh, there's a many number of theories or thoughts on what that could have been. The point is this was unique and different. Because as astrologers, they're used to looking up to the stars, but now they see this star that they recognize and identify instantly as different. And this star leads them to the savior of the world. I think about this because I think God has placed you and I to be icons on this earth, not icons in ourselves, not, not superstars, not people that bring vanity and glory to self, but an icon like this star that lead people to the savior of the world. We are called to be iconic Christians. Not just Christians who show up Christmas and Easter and Christians who show up every now and again when it's convenient. Not just Christians who sit down and listen to a 20 minute pep talk and then go home and do nothing with it. Those aren't iconic Christians. I wouldn't argue their Christianity. I wouldn't argue whether or not they're going to heaven. But I would argue, are you being iconic? Are you representative and are you leading people to the savior of the world? And there's a few things that I picked up from this star that I think you and I need to understand. This famous star of Bethlehem reminds us of what it means to be iconic Christians. And if you're taking notes, the first thing is this. Iconic Christians are marked by Christ as his. 
they're marked by Christ as his. If you look at the verses we just read in Matthew, right? It says that about that time, the wise men went and they found this thing. And when they get to Herod, they said, we saw his star in the sky. His star, not a star, not the star, his star, Jesus's star. It belonged to Christ. It represented Christ. It was identified as Christ. You and I are called to be his stars, his representatives on earth, his light in a world full of darkness, his people. We saw his star. Listen, in, in Acts chapter 11, you see the first time that Christians are called Christians. Before that, they were called people of the way. Before that, it wasn't anything, right? Jesus comes on the scene. He preaches for three years. He raises up disciples. He willingly gives his life on the cross and conquers death three days later. And his followers begin to grow. There's some persecution going on in the area, which causes the disciples to scatter all across the land. And as they scatter, they preach that gospel. They shine their light in these dark areas. And in chapter 11, you see that a man named Barnabas, he was going to check out what was happening because there was an area where they hadn't set up camp, they hadn't planned, but Christians had scattered there and they started preaching the gospel and people were getting saved. And so the church in Jerusalem sends Barnabas and says, hey, go check out what's happening. Let's, let's make sure that's, that's legit, that it's what's supposed to go on. So Barnabas goes and while he's there, he's looking for Saul of Tarsus who uh, he had checked in on before and he himself had to go because of some persecution. And it says in verse 25 through 26, then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And then notice this footnote. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. I think it's important you understand that the, the Christians didn't label themselves as Christians. They didn't show up in Antioch and say, hey guys, we're, uh, we're Christians, you know? We're a part of Belmont Assembly of God. No, no, it was the people of Antioch that labeled them as Christians. Because Christians, it literally means the little Christ. It's those little Christ, you know? It's those, those guys that are like Jesus. They were labeled by other people. It's one thing to call yourself a Christian, but it's another thing when an unbelieving world looks at you and goes, no, that's a Christian. That's an iconic Christian. Because it's a sad thing if your coworkers, if your classmates, if the people in your world are surprised when they find out you're a believer. Yes. But when they watch your life and, and, and when they watch how you act and they watch how you treat people and they watch how you speak and they watch how you take care of your family and they see how faithful you are in your service and the things you do with your extra time, they'll look at you and say, no, 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 that looks like Jesus to me. And I don't even know Jesus but I'm sure that's what he looks like. See, if the star looked like any other star, the wise men wouldn't have followed it. And if you look like everybody else, then you'll never be able to lead anybody to Jesus. The second thing I noticed about iconic Christians is they speak the language of the people. <laughs> if you look, the wise men aren't the only people that uh, have the announcement. The Bible tells us that there were some shepherds that were also told about the birth of Jesus. But in the shepherd's case, the Lord sent an angel. And then there's a whole host of angels that are declaring and worshiping the Lord. But for the astrologers, he sends a star. Why? Because they're astrologers. He's speaking the language of the people. 
Now, what does that mean for you and I? Listen, some of us, we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. We, we don't know how to interact with people. We don't know how to, how to just break bread and make friends. And, and listen, I, I love it. And my wife, we talk about, you know, how we're raising our daughters. And, and I think sometimes as Christians, we want to put our children in this protective bubble and, and make sure that the world never touches them. But I don't know about you, for me and my wife, we want to unleash our daughters. We don't want to protect them. Y'all, the world needs to protect it from my kids because my kids are going to go in there and do damage for the kingdom of God. Why? Because that's what God called them to do. But in order to do that, you got to be able to speak the language. Yes, yes. Now, listen, I'm not saying, you know, go to your work and start, you know, preaching the gospel with swear words every other time. I'm not gonna, I mean, if they get saved, they get saved. But I'm, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is this. Listen, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20 through 23, listen to what Paul says. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those who are under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, I'm not compromising who I am as a Christian, but at the same time, I am making every effort I can to find common ground with unbelievers so that they can recognize something in me that they don't have in themselves. And, and if I don't do that, if I'm not able to do that, then I'm going to be ineffective as an iconic Christian and doing the very thing that God sent me to do. So some of us, we need to learn to talk the language of the people in your world. I, I've prided myself over the years of knowing just a little bit about a lot of things. I'm not an expert on too many things, but I know just enough to have a conversation with somebody. So when I'm in the UK and I'm talking to, to people in, in England, I can talk a little bit of soccer and I can mention how I like Arsenal and I don't like Tottenham and, and I can talk a little bit of that football. Enough to find common ground. When I worked at Starbucks, uh, I was working as a manager at the Starbucks at the Brickyard. We would often have uh, people who only speak Polish who would come in, and, and I always felt like it was kind of rude because they'd come in and they'd just smoke coffee. And I'm like, hey, you want cream and sugar with that? Smoke coffee. I'm like, all right, we're not going to have a conversation today. But then I realized, you know what? It's probably just a language thing. And so I started asking my Polish coworkers, like, hey, can you give me some phrases, something I can say, you know, to, to maybe just like, you know, have a good dream. They're like, yeah, you can say like, Shmachniego. I was like, oh, okay. And, and I would just come up with these words and phrases. And the next time the very same people would come in, they'd order a drink, I'd say my little Polish phrase, and their whole face would light up. And they're like, you speak Polish? I'm like, no, no, not at all. But I'm trying. Hey, can you teach me next week say, to say something? And then they'd come next week and they here's your word for this day. What happened? Why did the, the interaction, the demeanor, the atmosphere change? Because I was willing to get down and speak their language instead of assuming they should speak mine. And listen, some of us, we're so fluent in Christianese that we don't know how to talk to people. You know, when you're saying, you just got to do what the Bible says. They don't believe the Bible. That's not going to help them right now. <laughs> you know, we got to be able to get down on that level, not compromising who we are as believers but being able to associate with those who don't believe. And the third thing I noticed 
as iconic Christians lead people to Jesus. They don't just point the way. They lead the way. They don't just point the way. Isn't it interesting? The star that they saw, if you notice in Matthew, it says that they followed it. It led them, and then it stopped over where Jesus was. It wasn't just pointing. It wasn't just a sign. It was leading. Too many of us, we've limited our, our evangelism to pointing people to church. Hey, you should go to church. Thanks for the update. That's like somebody coming to see, hey, you should lose weight. I agree. <laughs> Didn't really help me, but you and I, I guess, are on the same page now. <laughs> no, it's, it's so much more than just pointing at a direction. It's so much more than just saying something. Like, even at church, if, if somebody were to say to me, hey, I'm new here, where's the bathroom? I'm not going to go, hey, go down that hall, make a left, make another left, make sure you go to the second door if you're a guy. I'm just, hey, let me take you to the bathroom. I'll walk you over there. And I can have a conversation as I journey with you over there. And I can maybe get to know you in the one minute that we take that walk. But I'm willing to take you there. And so often, we've, we've relegated evangelism to bringing them to church and then letting the pastor preach the gospel. When the same power that works in anybody on this platform is working through you. Where you, you can sit there in your lunchroom and you can have an opportunity where, where somebody's open up to you and they're telling you that they need God in their life. And right there in that lunchroom, you can say, listen, I can pray with you right here. I can lead you to Jesus. Well, we don't have to be in church. We are in church. Two are gathered. Amen. We're here, bro. Amen. But that's an iconic Christian. That's someone who's not limited. Now, bring them to church so that they can grow, so that they can be discipled, so that they can serve, so that we can. Yeah, that's important. Obviously, we want to bring them to church. It's like when you have a baby, you have it at the hospital, but you don't bring it home. Okay? You do got to eventually bring it into the house. But let's not relegate or limit our evangelistic effort to pointing in a direction. Listen, John chapter 1 Verse 40 through 42. I love these verses because it talks about Peter's interaction with Jesus. And Peter, man, one of the most incredible disciples. He was the one that Jesus always looked to. He was one of the older ones. He was the leader, really, if you look at it, of all the other disciples. He's the one that preached the first gospel message. And 3,000 people got saved in that one sermon. I mean, Peter's a bad dude. And we give Peter a lot of credit. But listen to what this says here. Andrew. Simon Peter's brother was one of these men who heard what John said and followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew, what's that word? Brought. Right? He brought. He didn't tell Simon Peter where Jesus was. He didn't give him directions. He brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Caiaphas, which means Peter. Peter's whole world, literally his name, was changed the moment his brother decided to bring him to Jesus. There are people in your world that are in your world because you're the one who's going to bring them to Jesus. Not me, not the other pastor. It's your world. That's your uncle. That's your cousin. That's your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife. Listen, one of the greatest joys in my years of youth ministry is when when a young person brings their family to church. 
maybe for a baptism or maybe for, for a jingling of bells. And to watch mom and dad give their life to the Lord, there's no greater joy. But it's because a kid said, mom, would you come with me? Dad, would you come with me? When I was a teenager and I, I would bring all my friends to youth group and I was bringing everybody to Excel and, and I would literally bring 10, 15, 20 people at a time. But I would bring them. I would rent my buddy's car. I'd tell him, hey, I'll fill your car with gas and I'll give you 20 bucks on top of that if you let me use your car so I can pick up people to take them to church. Because the biggest excuse I heard, oh, I don't have a ride. I will give you a ride. And I would say I would give you a ride before I had a ride. Why? Because if that's the only excuse between you and eternity, I'll figure it out. Listen, iconic Christians, we can't afford to be basic anymore. Not in this world. There's been a shaking up since that pandemic happened. People who were on the fence, they fell off. We can't bank on that anymore. The ones that are left are the ones who love the Lord, but you love him enough to be iconic for him. Because here's the truth as I begin to wrap this up. The worship team, if you can come and help me out. See, iconic Christians, they shine so others can see. It's interesting that there was a star, right? The star of Bethlehem, it shined in a unique way. Enough to get the attention of star experts. Enough for them to see light in a time of day where it's the most dark. Lights are meant to shine. That's why we love Christmas time, right? Part of it is all the Christmas lights. That's why we all like to go to Logan Square and see that one house on the corner that it's like, because you know, we ain't got enough money to be doing all that stuff you got to pay for. We go to Logan Square and we look at that one house. We're like, hey, there's the house. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I took the guys there yesterday. I got to take you to the house. <laughs> That's the star, man. It's there so that others can see. And listen to what the the word of the Lord says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news, which is the gospel. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We are now that light. It's interesting when Jesus walked this earth in the gospels, it records him saying, I am the light of the world. But when he resurrected and he ascended, he tells the disciples, you are the light of the world. What does that mean? It's Christ in us that shines through us so that others can see who Jesus is. It's Christ in us that shines through us so that others can see the glory of his message. But how can they see if you don't shine? 
my daughter uh, just had her birthday. My eldest daughter just turned two on uh, December 13th. And so for her birthday, we decided we're going to do more than just the house on the corner. And we took her to Rosemont. You know, they have a nice little light set up over there and beautiful configurations and lights all over the trees. And we took her last year, but she was one and she kind of still barely had her head up. And so... You know, she really couldn't take it. So we were really excited. We're like, okay, now, like, she talks, she reacts. Like, we want to see, you know, how it goes. And so we took her, and, and I'm carrying her, and she's, like, looking at all these lights, and we're walking down the area, and she's, she's watching them. And, and she's like, it's cool, but she's not really giving us, like, big reactions. You know, there's, there's like, live sheep pen there, and she likes sheep. You know, she watches sheep on, like, Coco Melon and stuff like that. And so I'm like, oh, let's go show her the sheep. And we go show her the sheep, and she, like, looks at the sheep. And, like, in her mind, I feel like she's thinking, they smell worse than I thought they would. <laughs> so we look at the sheep. We look at these magnificent lights. This, I mean, really, they do some really cool configurations. And, you know, she's like, yeah, Cool. She wasn't unhappy, but she wasn't, like, incredibly impressed. <laughs> and so we're like, you know what? We got to walk, like, two blocks back to get to the car, and it's cold. I'm done. Let's go, babe. Like, she saw all the lights. We did all the walk. Let's go back. And so I'm walking her back, and you got to walk through the neighborhood to get back to where we parked. And as we're walking back, she's holding my hand, and we're just walking. And there's this one house with a small plastic nativity set. Not too small, but about this big. It's a plastic nativity scene, and it's lit up from the inside, so it's really bright white. And my daughter stops, and she's just staring at this nativity scene. And I'm like, you like it, baby? And she's just, I mean, she's zoned in, and her big, beautiful eyes are just like glistening watching this. And then, honestly, I was tired, and we were a little cold, and so I pick her up to keep moving, and she goes... No, Jesus, again. And so, like, my wife and I are, like, getting emotional watching this. I'm like, who told you that was Jesus? But she instantly recognized. And she sat there, and we let her get all the Jesus she wanted to get. And she watched, and she awed. And her favorite light of all the lights was the light of Jesus on the lawn of one house on the road. I'm telling you because this world, it's got some cool lights. Lights that entertain us, lights that fascinate us, lights that we'll pay money to go see. And we think that's cool, that's great, that's what the world wants. No, the world is desperate for the light of Jesus. If you're willing to be the one house who shows it. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we get ready to close this morning. And I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, just do me a favor and, and close your eyes for a moment. just want you to hear my voice. And in a moment, Pastor Izzy, which we're so grateful he came out, good friend of mine from Missouri. He's going to lead us in a song. But I want you to take this moment with your eyes closed to reflect on yourself. Believers, those of you in this room who have given your life to the Lord, who have said that prayer and made that commitment, are you living as iconic Christians? 
Are you being consistent in your walk, in your daily devotions, in your prayer time, in your service for the Lord? Are you talking to your neighbors? Are, are you easily identifiable? Can people look at you and say, that is what Christ looks like? Are you treating your wife as the Lord would treat her? Are you treating your husband as Christ would treat you? Are you loving your children the way the Lord loves you? Believers, it's time to go beyond basic Christianity and become iconic Christians. But before we do that, I need to just take one moment in case there's someone in this room who you've never given your life to the Lord. Or maybe you did, maybe you said a prayer a few years ago, but the truth is you don't have a relationship with God today. It's been a long time since you've had the Lord in your life. And there was something that was tugging at you during this message. There was something that was pulling at your heart. And I need you to know that wasn't me, that wasn't the music, that wasn't the bells. That was the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, I need you to come back home. I want a relationship with you. I want to shine my light in your life so that you can see everything I've called you to be. So in a moment, we'll pray for the Christians, but with every head bowed, every eye closed, young man, young lady, sir, ma'am, whoever you are in this room, if you want to give your life to the Lord, if you want to say yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about coming to this church forever. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a genuine relationship with the Savior of the world. With no one else is looking around, it's between you and the Lord, but if you want that, I am so honored to be able to walk you through that. All I need from you is a signal. I just need you to lift up your hand so that I know that's you. So if there's anyone here who says, Pastor, I need God in my life. I want a relationship with Jesus. Would you just lift up your hand? I'll pray for you. I see you back there. Thank you. Thank you, bro. Anyone else? That's me. I need to rededicate my life to the Lord. I need to come back to God. Thank you, young man. Thank you. Anyone else? That's me. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Thank you, sir. I'm going to give you just a couple more minutes. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Just one more minute. If there's anyone else, we're not in a rush. This is what all believers in this room want for you. Thank you, thank you. The Bible is very clear that the hard work was done by Jesus. And here's the beauty of of the gift of salvation. You don't earn it, you receive it. You just say yes to it. And the Bible says that if you believe in your heart that Christ is Lord, that he died for your sins and resurrected so that you and I can have a relationship with him. If you believe that in your heart and you confess it with your mouth, which is what you just did with that public declaration, then you are saved. And so church, I'm going to ask you all to help me with this. Would you just, everyone in this room, would you repeat after me? Say, Jesus, Jesus I thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, for shining your light today, shining your light today and letting me see how desperately I need you. I ask you, God, forgive me of my sins. Make me new. Make me yours. I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
in a moment, I'm gonna pray for the believers. But I want us to sing this last little chorus. And I want us to remember the shepherds, the wise men, they made a journey. They risked some stuff. They brought gifts for an opportunity to see the face of Jesus. I pray we never stop pursuing the face of Jesus. I pray that we would always seek to set our eyes on him, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So why don't you join us as Pastor Izzy leads us in this course a time or two, and then we'll pray. Christianity, who have settled with a life of coming on a Sunday or just sitting at home and watching online, but never living out the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would help us, God. I know it's not easy, but with God, all things are possible. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be everything you called us to be for the sake of your name. Lord, I pray that we would be marked by you, God, that we wouldn't be able to hide our faith any longer or, or mask our Christianity any longer, oh Lord. Father, I pray that you would help us to speak the language of the people, God, that we would be able to connect and have divine appointments, Lord, that we would be able to usher in your presence, oh God. Lord, I pray that we would no longer point people to Jesus, but we would lead them to you, God would have the boldness that comes from the baptism of the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel, to share our testimony, to love people through their sin, and that we would shine brightly. Lord, as your word says, that we would shine brightly in this warped and crooked generation. Lord, that we would point people to you, that as my daughter looked at that nativity scene and instantly recognized it was you. Father, I pray that people would look at us and instantly find conviction of sin and a desperation for the presence of God. 
Father God, that we wouldn't use convincing words, but it would be by the power of the Holy Spirit and vessels that are willing and able because our eyes are always on you. We pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. 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 Come on, would you give God praise? Amen. Listen, I'm going to ask some of our ushers, or actually, I'm sorry, some of our deacons and leaders, if you would wait up here, if you gave your life to the Lord today, and you would like to talk to somebody about what the next steps would be, we would love to have that conversation with you. So some of our pastors and elders and leaders, if you can come up, uh, no pressure, but we would love to tell you what's next. God bless you, church. We love you. We'll see you in our prayer meeting this week.